when we started Exponential about five years ago now, there was a couple that was from Chambersburg, Galen and Jill Bricker, that made a commitment to come up from Chambersburg to Harrisburg every single week for a three-month period, sort of as short-term missionaries to help us get the church started. Some of you that were around at the beginning, you may remember them. Uh, the way I had gotten to know Galen and Jill was through the church that I had pastored there in Chambersburg, and uh, we have become really, really close friends. And I'll never forget, this was right as we were transitioning, because we had had such explosive growth, we were moving into a new $7 million facility we had just built. And so this was our very last worship experience at our old building. And because of some technical things that had happened, we actually had to have it on a Saturday night. So it was done. It was such a celebration. You know, we were... we're leaving one building, we're getting ready to go to the next building. And so there was a bunch of us were just sort of milling around afterwards and standing there talking to Galen and Jill. And their then two-year-old son, Chase, we noticed over in the corner, had taken off all of his clothes, and he's running around the auditorium just, woo <laughs> And, of course, they were extremely embarrassed by this. We were laughing about it and stuff, but... The reason I told you that story was it reminds me of something as, as we finish up our series today called Chase the Lion from Scripture. Actually, two things it reminds me of. The first thing is that Scripture tells us that when Adam and Eve were first created, they were naked and had no shame. They were running around, woohoo, you know, and everything was good. But then sin entered the world. And now all of a sudden they covered up their nakedness. They were ashamed. And I think we do the same thing, don't we? That we try to cover up, not just our, our physical uh, nakedness, but emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually and relationally. We, we try to cover up a lot of things about our lives because we don't want people to think that we're foolish in any way. We don't want people to think that we're weird in any way. So we, we, we cover up. Now there's a, a second reason then that I, I told you that uh, story. And that's because of a guy by the name of King David. And we'll, we'll get to his uh, story in just a second. But David was sort of naked at one point, even though he looked foolish. But see, the thing is, whether it, it be us or David or little Chase, uh, again, society teaches us that, look, it's, it's, it's not right to, to look foolish in any way. You, you've got to cover up anything that looks different than other people. You need to act like other people act and talk like other people talk and, and dress the way that other people dress. Become just like everybody else. The problem with that, though, is you become just like everybody else. And the unique person that God has created you to be, who, who God wants you to be in life and the things that God wants you to do, you don't end up doing because you're just like everybody else. And you think, if I take any chances, I, I try to do things that are a little bit different, people are going to think I'm weird. They're going to think that I'm foolish. They're going to laugh at me. But see, we, we've got to get away from that attitude. We, we don't want to be like everybody else. We've got to be the person that God has called us to be. You know who God has called you to be? He's called you to be you. And he's called you to be you in this way. He's called you to be you that you are to become more and more like Jesus. Now, there's many, many aspects and, and facets of, of being like Jesus. But we are to be conformed to his image. And so here's the good news for you this morning. I'll put it there on your outline if you're taking notes. And can we get the uh, lights on, please? I am called to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. The good news is that since Jesus was a nonconformist, the more I become like him, the less I'll become like other people. 
Let me say that again. The more you become like Jesus, the less you're going to become like other people. In other words, you are going to be the very unique person that God has called you to be, even if that means that you're going to look foolish to other people. And again, that's something that happened with King David. He was willing to look foolish in this one particular instance because he knew that in order to be who God's called me to be and in order to worship God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, I can't be concerned with what other people think. I've only got to be concerned with what does God think. So let me tell you a little bit about his story and how this happened because he was going to look foolish, not just to people, but even to his very own spouse. I'll tell you the story. Israel's first king was a guy by the name of Saul. Saul ended up being a very, very bad king. Saul had a, a family, and he had this one daughter. Her name was Michael. And David ends up marrying Michael. Well, when God decides that it's time for Saul not to be the king anymore, he anoints David as the new king. And so one of the very first things that had happened, because the hand of God had been off the nation of Israel for many years because Saul was just so evil and so bad, they had actually lost the Ark of the Covenant. You're asking, or, you know, what, what's the Ark of the Covenant? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was the box, basically, that had the original Ten Commandments in it and all kinds of artifacts and relics from ancient Israel. So this is very, very important. And, and this box, this Ark of the Covenant, was in the temple area. This was very, very important. In the Holy of Holies, the place where God resided. And Saul was so bad that he had allowed the enemy to come in and steal the Ark of the Covenant. And so one of David's first acts as king is he goes off, defeats the enemy, gets the Ark of the Covenant. Now he's making this procession back in to Israel, back into Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. There's the army. They got the Ark of the Covenant. They're coming in. Man, this is awesome, right? They, they've done this. They've gotten the glory of God to come back to the nation. And so as they're coming in, Michael is in the palace. She's up at the top looking through the window and watching the procession coming in. And there's her husband leading the procession. David gets so excited about what God is doing in their lives and in the nation that he's like, I have just got to worship. I've got to worship, my God. I am so excited. And so we actually read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 to 15. Now remember, his wife is watching all this from the, the window. It says, David sacrificed an ox and a choice cow. He was dancing for the Lord with all of his might, but he wore only a what? What's it say? He wore only a, a linen cloth. He and everyone else were celebrating by shouting and blowing horns while the, the chest, which is the Ark of the Covenant, while the chest was being carried along. In other words, David's like, I've just got to celebrate. And in order to celebrate, I'm taking off all my armor and I'm stripping down to my boxers, basically. That's the linen cloth, right? He's like, I'm just down to my boxers. I'm going to dance, and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to praise. I'm getting my worship on. He's excited. Now think about it. You strip down to your boxers or your, you know, your, your underwear here today and worship. That'd look a little foolish, wouldn't it? That'd be a little crazy. People point at you. But that's what David's doing. There he is. He's worshiping away. As the story continues then, he gets an earful when he gets home. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 20 to 22. 
It says David went home so he could ask the Lord to bless his family, but Saul's daughter Michael went out and started yelling at him. You are really great today, she said. You acted like a dirty old man dancing around half naked in front of your servant slave girls. But David told her, the Lord didn't choose your father or anyone else in your family to be the leader of his people. The Lord chose me, and I was celebrating in honor of him. In fact, I am willing to look even more undignified and foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. In other words, David's going, look, I could not care less what you or other people think about me. When God inspires me to worship, I'm going to worship. He says, and I'll even be more dignified than stripping down to my boxers. I'll even look more foolish than stripping down to my boxers if need be. It's like, I'm going to worship. I don't care what other people think as long as God is pleased with me. And this is an important lesson that we can learn. I put it there on your outline. I need to take God and God's word more seriously and myself less seriously. See, again, that's our problem. We... We try to conform to the world and we try to be like everybody else and think like they think and talk like they talk and act like they act and dress like they dress. We, we try to, to do all that because we, we want people to take us seriously. But it's not about you being taken seriously. We need to take God and his word seriously. Don't worry about ourselves. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today as we wrap up this Chase the Lion series. Because if you think about it, Benaiah chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day, that looked pretty foolish, didn't it? Don't you think people were pointing at him going, look at that idiot. <laughs> what a fool chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day. What in the world is he thinking? But here's, here's like the, the big thing I want you to realize this morning. It's there on your outline. Jesus came to free the fool that lives inside of you and lives inside of me. He doesn't want you to be like everybody else. He wants you to be you, even if you looks foolish to the people and the things of the world. We're going to explore exactly what that looks like here today and how you do that. Now, as we start that, how many of you have ever heard the name John Muir? Does that name sound familiar to anybody, John Muir? My dad, why am I not surprised? All right. Um, John Muir was the founder of the Sierra Club. He was the first sort of conservationist. Um, Dad's a little bit more of an outdoorsy person than I am. I'm like, you know, I'm not green at all. To me, you know, Kermit the Frog's green, you know, uh, we're not to be green. He's he's green. But anyway, that's just me. Uh, But anyway, John Muir, he's this conservationist. He loved God. He loved uh, nature, he, he loved animals, and, and all this kind of stuff. So one, one day, he and his friends, they're sort of out in the, the forest, and they're doing a hike, and a ferocious, I mean, ferocious storm just comes up to the point, like, it's bending trees over sideways. I mean, that, that's how heavy the winds are. So they all head back to the camp, to this cabin that they had. And all of his friends, they, they go into the cabin, and they're like, where's John at? And they look outside through the window, he climbed to the top, a 100-foot-tall Douglas fir tree during this storm. And they watch as he rides out the storm from the very top of the tree. That's pretty foolish. But John Muir later wrote this. He said, nature was giving us something rare to see and experience. 
And the danger to my life was no greater than the danger of becoming a coward in life by huddling under a cabin roof. You know, in the past year or two, we've had some pretty bad storms come through Harrisburg, haven't we, with, you know, winds that are just whipping around and stuff. Can you imagine during one of those storms climbing to the top of a 100-foot tall tree? How crazy is that? How foolish would your neighbors think? I mean, oh, there they are again. Look at them. But yet what Muir is saying to us is that, look, if you really want to experience the most out of life, sometimes you've got to be willing to take some chances. If you really want to get in the game and not just be a, a spectator, you, you've got to just do some things that are going to look foolish to other people. You know, that's one of the great lessons we can learn from a guy in the Bible by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, a man who was willing to look foolish to other people. Now, let me give you a little bit of his story before we actually look at the Scripture. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man. He was a tax collector. And tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews because what had happened was the, the nation of Israel was under Roman occupation. This is around the time of Jesus. And the, the Romans are controlling everything, and they had said, look, you need to collect taxes for us. And they would tell them, here's how much you need to collect. But they said, anything you collect above and beyond that is yours to keep. And so what these tax collectors would do is they would go and just ask for just these huge amounts of money because they knew they, the Romans had their backs. This is sort of like the mafia. Basically, you know, you do what we say or there's going to be trouble. And so Zacchaeus is one of these guys. He's going and ripping off his fellow Jews. And so he was hated. But we read this fascinating story about Zacchaeus and his willingness to, to look foolish. It's found in Luke chapter 19. We'll start with verse 1. It says, Jesus was going through Jericho where a man named Zacchaeus lived. He was in charge of collecting taxes and he was very rich. Jesus was heading his way and Zacchaeus wanted to see what he was like. But Zacchaeus was a short man and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree. When Jesus got there, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. Zacchaeus hurried down and gladly welcomed Jesus. Everyone who saw this started grumbling. This man Zacchaeus is a sinner. And Jesus is going to his home to eat with them? Later that day, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, I will give half of my property to the poor, and I will now pay back four times as much to everyone that I have ever cheated. Zacchaeus, or Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today you and your family have been saved, because you are a true son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to look for and to save people who are lost. Again, here's another example of a guy that was willing to climb a tree, even if it looked foolish. I mean, Zacchaeus is a grown man, and here he is. He's climbing up a tree in order to see Jesus. Sort of foolish, right? Even Jesus is sort of foolish in this story. People are pointing the finger. You're going to stay with this guy? Don't you know who this guy is? You can't go eat at his house. He's a tax collector. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's because he is a tax collector that I need to go spend time with him. Because I came to seek and save those who are lost. Both Zacchaeus and Jesus were willing to look foolish. Zacchaeus was willing to be a tree climber. And see, our problem today is we're not willing to be tree climbers anymore, are we? I mean, think about when you were a kid. Did you climb trees when you were a kid? Sure you did. You didn't care. You, you just climb trees you, you took some chances you didn't care what other people thought you thought outside the box 
But now you've, you've got an image to protect. You've got a reputation to uphold. You play it safe. You, you can't do things that may look foolish in the eyes of other people. But the lesson we can learn from Zacchaeus is this. They're on your outline. If I want to get closer to Jesus, I must be willing to look foolish to others. Again, here, here's this grown man climbing a tree. But yet because he was willing to do that, because he climbed the tree, because he was willing to look foolish, Jesus invited himself over to, his, to Zacchaeus' house. That's another foolish thing, right? Just inviting yourself over to somebody else's house. But yet because of all that, Zacchaeus has a dramatic conversion experience. This isn't just, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry, you know, I got caught in my sins, and, you know, please forgive me. No, what, what's it say here? Not only does he want forgiveness, he says, I'm going to repent. Repent simply means to, to turn and go the other way. And part of repentance is if you have harmed somebody, if you have hurt somebody, if you've said something wrong to somebody, you need to try to make restitution to them. And what does Zacchaeus say that he's going to do here? He says, I'm going to pay back everybody that I ripped off four times the amount. And if there's anything left over, I'm giving half of all that to the poor. Zacchaeus realized that, look, life is not about me. It's not about my own interests. It's about the, the interests of others. It's not about accumulating a bunch of stuff for myself, but it, it's about helping people and, and helping God's kingdom. Now, do you think when Zacchaeus did that, that other people pointed fingers and said, you fool, you're paying people back, and you just gave away half of all that you have to poor? Yeah. They would have said, that's foolish. But again, Jesus came to free the fool that lives inside of you and lives inside of me. So the big question is, okay, well, what exactly does God want from me? You know, that's a question, some of you, you've never asked that before. What does God want from me? Sort of foolish if you think about it, because when you were in school, you didn't take a test without having some sort of expectation of, what it meant to pass the class or pass the test. It meant foolish, right, to not know what was expected of you? Or, you know, you take a new job. When you take a job, you have an expectation of, okay, what's expected of me here? It'd be foolish not to do that. But yet many people go through life and they've never said, God, what do you expect from me in life? What is life all about? What do you want? Thankfully for us, Jesus actually talked about this at one point. And he summarized it quite nicely. It's really easy to remember. Jesus said, all right, you want to know what it's all about? Here it is. Ready? Love God and love people. Yeah, yeah, but what about all the rules and regulations and rituals and all that kind of stuff in the Bible? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's important and stuff. But really, if you want to sum it all up, love God, love people. That's it. Love God. Love people. You can do that, right? Love God. Love people. Here's the, the problem. Many people in many churches have tried to make Christianity into way more than just that. And so... 
when somebody comes in a relationship with Jesus and they're like, okay, I'm going to pray and I ask them for forgiveness, I ask them for leadership, I'm given control, I'm repenting of my sins, what the church and what other people want to do is come alongside them and say, okay, now, here's how you need to talk, here's how you need to dress, here's the music that you can listen to, here's the movies that you can watch, do this, don't do this. It's all about conforming into the likeness, not of Jesus, but of the people around. And I've always found that sort of weird because a lot of churches are like, okay, as soon as you get saved, now you've got to take this new believers class because we're going to teach you now what it means to be a believer. Which is ironic because what happens is so often the church and people in the church, they're praying, they're going, God, our unsaved family members and friends and neighbors and relatives, God, they're, they're in your hands. You know, God, you know, just bring them into a relationship with you. God, there's nothing we can do. God, you've got to do that all. Oh, God, please bring them into a relationship with you. And then they finally come into a relationship. And then what do we do? We say, now you've got to take class. What we think is that the same God that brought them to salvation can't help them to mature in their salvation. We think that as the church, we need to do that. We need to tell them how it works. But Jesus says, look, it's about loving God and loving people. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's the deal. As pastors, as church leaders, should we come alongside as you have questions and help you do? Very, sure, we should do that. But it can't be so that we make you look like us. You have got to be you. Even if you looks foolish to me. And even if me looks foolish to you. Jesus isn't looking for little Jesus juniors. Little clones. He's looking for you to take his spirit, which resides inside of you, and maximize the potential that he's given you. Your personality is different than mine, and it's different than the person sitting next to you. Be the best you that you can be. If you're a morning person, be the best morning person that you can be. I don't know how that works, but be the best morning person you can be. Because some of us are night owls. And if you're an extrovert or an introvert, that's okay. You don't have to be conformed into something that you're not. Be who God has created you to be. And as you're being who God has created you to be, love God and love people. That's it. That's it. Jesus is looking for tree climbers. He's looking for party crashers. He's looking for people that are willing to jump out of boats if it means that you may be able to walk on the water. He's looking for people that are willing to follow a star for thousands of miles if it means an encounter with God may be on the other side of that. Climbing trees, walking on water, chasing a star for thousands of miles. People pointed and said, that is foolish. But what I've done throughout this series is I've given you some different ways to think about faith, and I've given you some definitions. And so here's your definition for today. Faith is my willingness to look foolish. Benaiah looked foolish chasing a lion. David looked foolish going after Goliath with only a slingshot. Noah looked foolish building a big boat out in his front yard. Peter, he looked foolish jumping out of a boat in case he may be able to walk on water. Sarah, 90 years old, she looks foolish knitting little baby booties, you know, and, and trying to get ready for a baby that she's never even had a baby, and she's 90. But yet there she is knitting. People are going, that is foolish. 
That's crazy. Jesus, he looked foolish hanging on a cross, half naked in front of his family and friends. But you know what? The results of each one of those foolish acts speak for themselves. They speak for themselves because Benaiah did kill the lion. David did kill Goliath. The floodwaters did come. Peter did walk on water. Sarah had the baby and Jesus rose from the dead just like he said that he would. It looked foolish. But yet they were doing what God had called them to do. Man, that we still tell the stories about it. How God showed up and did the miraculous. They weren't afraid. And some of you are afraid. You've never chased a lion. You've never killed your own giant because you're afraid. You're afraid, what if I fail? What are other people going to think about me? Who cares? Who cares? Now, Many of you make excuses. It's not that, oh, I'm afraid I may look foolish here. It's, you go, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've got so much already invested in what I've been doing. You know, what, what if I lose my benefits? You know, I've got my family to think about. And so we, we sort of try to rationalize why we're not willing to look foolish for God. We'll say things like, well, that's crazy, or it's never been done before, or what if I fail, or I don't have the experience to do that, or what if it's too expensive? If God's calling you to do it, you need to do it. It doesn't matter. Listen, and I put this on your outline, one foolish act may be all that is separating my dreams from becoming a reality. So turn in the application, turn in the resignation, pop the question, make the appointment, go to the audition, ask him or her out on a date. Yeah, maybe you'll look foolish, maybe you'll get turned down, but you'll never know unless you try it. As I start to wrap up, I want to share an interesting scripture that you'd be like, okay, exactly how does this tie into today? But it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says this, Do not get drunk with alcohol, which leads to foolish living, but instead be filled with God's Spirit. Here's why I'm sharing this. For those of you that have drank a little bit too much in your lifetime at some point, and I've done that myself, in the past, yeah, it's been a long time, all right? (laughs) But here's the thing. What does alcohol do when it's in your system? Do you become braver? Do you become bolder? Do you become a little bit more outgoing? Are you willing to do a little bit more foolish stuff? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol lowers your inhibitions. Some of you have done some foolish stuff. But Paul says here what? Don't get drunk on alcohol because that's going to lead to truly foolish behaviors. He says instead what you need to do is get drunk on what? God's Spirit. And see, what you need to realize is that the same boldness that alcohol gives you, God's Spirit will do that to like the nth power. It's like alcohol on steroids, right? 
So you can become drunk on the Spirit of God, that, that God's Spirit, if you'll allow Him, will, will take control and, and just, wow, just give you this boldness and this courage and this willingness to do anything for God, even if it looks foolish. But you've got to surrender to the Spirit. You, you can't surrender to, well, what are other people going to think about me? If God's Spirit asks you to do something, then you just do it. You jump out of boats, you climb trees, you chase stars, you chase lions, you go after giants. Spirit, the Spirit will give you the power that you need, the boldness, to do crazy things. You know, Jesus has said that as his followers, we're called to a very, very crazy thing. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, I am sending you out as what? As sheep among wolves. Think about that. You and I, we are the sheep. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out amongst the wolves. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty foolish. Thanks a lot, Jesus. But he says, that's my will for you. But you got my spirit. You've got my spirit to help you to take chances like that, to, to be a sheep out amongst the wolves, and you've got my spirit to protect you in the midst of all of it. So to be in God's will, we, we've got to be willing to go out and take some chances. Why? Because it's when we're out taking chances that we need to trust God that we recognize whether we truly have faith or not, that we seek Him with all of our heart. Here's how I put it on your outline. To be out of God's will puts me in danger. To be in God's will makes me dangerous. Say that again. To be out of God's will puts me in danger. To be in God's will makes me dangerous. It makes me a lion chaser. It makes you a lion chaser. Final thing I want to do for today and for this series is I want to read you the bookmark that we had made up for this series. If you haven't yet gotten one, they're out at the uh, Welcome Center there. It's our Chase the Lion uh, Manifesto, the Lion Chaser's Manifesto, and here's what it says. Quit living as if though the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Grab life by the mane. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-ordained passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Keep asking questions. Keep making mistakes. Keep seeking God. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Expand your horizons. Accumulate experiences. Consider the lilies. Enjoy the journey. Find every excuse that you can to celebrate everything that you can. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Burn sinful bridges. Blaze a new trail. Criticize by creating. Worry less about what people think and more about what God thinks. Don't try to be who you're not. Be yourself. Laugh at yourself. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the lion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Not only today, but we thank you for these past seven weeks as we've been able to look at what it means to be a lion chaser. And Lord, today as we looked at the example of 
people like John Muir and, and Zacchaeus and, and people like David and, and, and um, just others, Lord, that Peter that, that jumped out of a boat, that they were willing to look foolish for you because they knew that you were calling them to do something that was far beyond their own ability, their own strength, their own power, but yet they trusted you anyway. God, help us to be people like that. People that are willing to take chances on your behalf, even if it looks foolish to other people. Lord, help us not to be conformist, but help us to realize that, Jesus, you came to release and, and, and help the fool that lives within inside of us just come out to its full potential. Lord, I pray that whatever it is that your spirit has been speaking to each and every person here this morning, that, Lord, they would take that next step. Again, maybe it's quitting a job, starting a business. Maybe it's asking somebody out or popping the question or talking to a neighbor about their faith. Maybe it's some adventure that you've called them to take, a trip that you've called them to take, maybe even a missions trip. I don't know what it is, God, but you know it. Help your spirit. Give us that, that boldness. Help us to become drunk on your spirit, so overwhelmed by your spirit that like David, we can't help but worship you, God. Even if it means that we strip down to a linen cloth. And other people are pointing, saying, look at that idiot. God, help us to not care what other people think, but only to care about what you think about us. Help us to live for you with everything that we have and to worship you with everything that we have as well. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet here this morning.